0: Please remain standing as you are able, as we, before we hear God's word, commit ourselves to God through a partial reciting of the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. I'll do the first little bit in Hebrew and invite you to follow after me. It just reminds us of our contact with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Moses, Miriam, Deborah, all those, David, Solomon, all those who have gone uh, before us. But there are two things before we do this. One is an encouragement and the second a warning. The encouragement is this. Uh, the Shema is to come out of your heart. It's come out of your soul. And so uh, it is a reflection of our, our passion. It's not a head trip at all. It, it's about something we believe with our very lives. That's the encouragement. Uh, the warning is this. They always did it before the Word of God as a way to say to God, before we hear your Word, we're committing ourselves to you to do whatever it is. That your word says to do. So let us join together. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Here's what we said. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart. With all your soul. And with all your might. Amen. This is God's word from Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. That is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to our God. Be seated, please. About a year ago, I was with the good professor, Mark Williams, and we were talking about things that were significant um, in our lives and ministry. And at one point he stopped and he said to me, you know, David, if you were to croak tomorrow at your funeral, I would read this verse. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Well, while I'm not hoping to croak tomorrow, I think Mark had it essentially right. Proverbs 4.23, for the last decade, has served sort of as a, what we call a life verse. It's really a verse that has discovered me and one that I'm trying to live into. And one of the things it's taught me is that essentially life is lived inside out. That whatever is going on in our outer world is a direct product of what is going on inside our heart. Now, when the Bible talks about the heart, the Bible means the command center of our life. Uh, the seat of the emotions, the, the seat of the will, the place out of which decisions make and flow. And Jesus would agree with this assessment. In the scripture we read a little while ago, Jesus said a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. It is a good tree that produces good fruit. And the tree there is our heart. Whatever the condition of our inside life, whatever that condition will yield what happens in our life. Another uh, translation of Proverbs 4.23 may hit it more closely for us. It goes like this. Guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow all of life's consequences. Whatever happens to you in life is a product of what is going on in the inside of your life. What is going on in your heart. I think experience at some level surely teaches us this. Daniel Goldman, in his groundbreaking work, Emotional Intelligence, uh, some years ago, came up with this amazing statistic. He found that 85% of people who are fired from jobs are fired for non-technical reasons. Basically, they know their job, and they can do their job, but their life is, in the inside is so messed up that their relations with customers and with uh, fellow employees uh, gets in the way, and, and so it's really, even despite their skill, a bigger drain to have them around. What happens on the inside will produce results on the outside. I've told some of you before I was taken aback some years ago in reading Dallas Willard's book, Renovation of the Heart, when he makes the statement that sometimes we, we do something that we regret, that we're embarrassed about it, that we're, we're ashamed when we think of it. And so often we will say to the person, we're sorry, I just wasn't myself. I'm, I'm sorry I wasn't myself. And Dallas Willard's comment on that is, oh, yes, you were. Because whatever spills out on the outside is a product of what is going on in the inside. And he said it would be more honest if we were to say to that person, I'm sorry that that happened. But I am the kind of person whose inside is such that these things spill out every once in a while. Every day I refill the dog's bowl with water and I carry it through the kitchen out to where uh, where the dogs are. And when I've got it full of water, if I am bumped or tripped or slip, water splashes out. Our heart is like the water in that bowl. And when we get bumped in life, when we run into adversity, or someone crosses us, or, or something bad happens then whatever happens and comes out, that is who we are. That is what is in our bowl. The truth of the matter is, if I yell at my kids, then I can't say, I'm sorry, that wasn't me. I don't usually yell at you. I need to say, I'm sorry, I'm the kind of person whose inside is such that occasionally I yell at you. There's still work to do on the inside. Life flows inside out. If you want your life to change then it needs to change from the inside so how do we begin to guard our heart because our heart is our most valuable possession or may i say it's god's most valuable possession god once told samuel before david was picked to fight goliath they were looking for a new king and all of david's taller brothers were paraded in front of the prophet samuel and he thought well this guy's Really big, he must be the one. Or this guy looks strong, he must be the one. And God finally told Samuel, I don't do it like that. Everybody else looks on the outside, says God, but I look on the heart. Proverbs 21 tells us that God weighs the heart. That is, may I say, the heart of the issue. Is the heart. So how do we guard our heart? Let me give you a few suggestions this morning. The first one is this. The very first thing I would do is to save time and energy, I would discard all of your efforts at trying to manage outward appearances. I would give up all of your efforts at trying to manage your image before other people. I know for years we were told that image is everything. And then we were told in a commercial that it's nothing. Well, that commercial is closer to God's truth. We spend way too much time, energy, and money trying to manage externals. All of us, at some point or another, treat our life as if it were a photo opportunity, as if people were looking at us and, and as if what was on the outside were of ultimate significance. Let me give you a case in point. I know it happens with me. My children are younger. Uh, let's say uh, three years old. They haven't had a nap. We're at the grocery store. They're getting a little unglued. And so they reach the point of being a lot unglued. And I see you, and you see me. What do I do? If image is significant, I do one of two things. One is I power up in my most powerful self, get as tall and as big as I can for my three-year-old, and threaten him within about an inch of his life that if he doesn't straighten out, it's not going to go well for him. You know that stuffed animal? Yes, he might say. Would you like to have it right now? Oh, yes, he might say. I'd say, if you don't straighten up, you'll never see him again. (laughs) I could go that route. Or I could take another route. I could grab him, leave my groceries in the cart, and get out of Dodge as fast as possible. Or can I just agree that outside image is not the most significant thing? And that at some level, if you don't understand, you ought to understand that a three-year-old who hasn't had a nap is a time bomb waiting to go off. And we just make it through as best we can. A lot of time and energy is spent trying to manage externals when they don't ultimately yield the life that we want to live and they they just don't matter. They don't last. When we were in the desert, Ray Vanderland taught us a very valuable lesson in Israel. It's about 115, moving toward 120 degrees. Uh, We're thirsty. Some of us are hungry. And there's a tree there in the desert that looks like a fruit tree. It's called an arara tree. It's mentioned in Jeremiah 17. And so people immediately, especially if we've got youth with you, they'll grab, they'll grab it and they'll say, can we eat it? And he'll stop us and he'll say, well, just a moment. He'll take a knife and he'll go over to that piece of fruit and cut it open. And on the inside is nothing, just a little bit of powder. And oh, by the way, the powder is poisonous. Jeremiah 17 says those who trust in their own strength are like an ararar tree. They look really good on the outside. They spend a lot of effort managing that appearance. But on the inside, not only is there nothing, it's worse than nothing. Whatever's on the inside is actually poisonous. But Jeremiah goes on to say, but those who trust in the Lord are like a tree planted by streams of living water. First hint I would give you is ditch the outside appearance efforts. Let's move them toward the inside, to the heart. Let me make a few suggestions on the heart. The first thing is as much time and energy as you can uh spend building up your heart muscle, your spiritual heart muscle, you ought to spend. Uh just as you would want to do that uh, cardiovascular uh, uh exercise for your physical heart, you'd want to do exercise for your spiritual heart as well. Uh exercises are pretty obvious. I'll just name a few of them. You already know them. Uh Michael mentioned one of them last week, which is if you want to come to trust in the Lord, one of the things you need to do is spend more time with God's Word and you begin to understand and see and taste the goodness of God. I don't know how many of you are trying to read a a chapter of Proverbs a day. It would be a beneficial exercise to do that all the way through this summer. It will build your heart. Time for prayer. Do you make time for prayer on a daily basis? I mean, if, if you're like me, most of us make time to shower and to wash our Okay, we make time to shower. You know, we make time to shave. We make time for these sort of daily maintenance things that have to do with our outward appearance. Are we making time for the stuff that deals with the inward? Time in prayer. Time in service. Reaching out to others, both through uh, something like compassion or actual physical efforts where you go and minister and help someone in need. It's a critical way to build up your heart. So my first piece of advice is forget the outside. Second piece is when you're working on the inside, start on those exercises that you know, build the heart. But I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that the dominant metaphor in this passage is to guard your heart. And the word is exactly what you think it probably means in Hebrew, and that is somebody who stands guard in a prison. Somebody who's watching over a prisoner, and whoever's watching over needs to make sure that whoever's not supposed to get in doesn't get in. And whoever's not supposed to get out, doesn't get out. You need to guard your heart with diligence, says the proverb. Let me suggest you guard two things in particular. Watch what goes into your mind. What do you think about? What are your dominant thoughts during the day? What do your thoughts keep going back to? What are you entertaining in your mind? That's going to be very critical. Paul wrote this to the Romans. He said, I want you not to be conformed to the rest of the world. But be transformed, said Paul, by the renewing of your minds. Paul knew that one of the ways into the heart was through the mind. What is it that you're thinking about? What are you you taking in? And that's, uh, Paul then would tell the Corinthians uh, at another time, we strive to take every thought captive. We're watching, we're monitoring, we're guarding what's going in to our mind. In Jesus' day, they had a, a wonderful temple that Herod had rebuilt. And they had, as best we can tell, they're still, archaeologists are still finding more and more, but at least 98, uh, places to do a ritual cleansing before you come into the temple. And what they would do, they would come to this water, and they would put water on their head to clean their thoughts, water on their heart to, uh, clean, uh, their, their wills, water on their hands to clean their actions, water on their feet, or actually they put it above the knee, to clean what had become life's path for them. And what the rabbis taught in Jesus' day was fascinating. They said this is exactly the path that sin takes. It starts in your head. It moves to your heart. Once it gets there, it shows up in your actions. And when it shows up often enough, it's become your way of life. Be careful. Guard what you take into your mind. What do you think about? What are you reading about? What do you meditate upon? What are you entertaining? Stand guard. Another thing I would say is that we have to be careful about what we see. One of the ways things get into our mind and our heart is by what we look at. What do we spend our days looking at? What, What are we taking in with our eyes? Proverbs puts it this way. It says, when you walk, you shouldn't look to the right or to the left. You ought to walk looking straight ahead. It was a metaphorical way of saying, keep your eyes focused on that which counts that which matters, that which is good. Don't be looking around at other stuff. You'll just get into trouble. Job was called by God about, to be about the most righteous person that God had on the planet at the time. And this is what Job, in talking about his own righteousness, said. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes. I made a deal. I made a promise with my eyes to only look at those things which I should look at. What do you look at? During the day, are you looking in areas that build and strengthen your heart? Or are you looking in areas that are just going to eventually undo you? Final piece of advice on that is this. Just as a prisoner must be guarded 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, so that they do not escape. So it is that you can never take off from guarding your heart. You can't say, well, my heart is so developed now, it is so full, it's so wonderful, I don't have to worry. King Solomon's father was King David. And David, for most of his life, watched his heart. In fact, God said about David, this is a man after my own heart, which is about as high a compliment in the Bible as you can get. But one day we're told, David kind of got tired of this. In the spring of the year, it was time to go out and fight wars, secure the boundaries for his people, give them protection and security. David just got tired of it. He'd been doing it a number of years, and he sent someone else to stand guard for him. And while he stayed behind and just sort of took time off, he was wandering around one day and happened to see from his palace a woman named Bathsheba sunbathing. And he called for her and his family, and her family were destroyed in the aftermath. He just just let down his guard. Just took a few moments off. Guard your heart, says the Scriptures, with all vigilance. You just can't take any time off. We're always building our heart or letting it be torn down. Do you know, by the way, who wrote most of the Proverbs? Anybody? Solomon. What happened to him? Well, he asked God for wisdom. God gave it to him. He became the wisest man who ever lived, may have been uh, the richest man of the time, and, and was ruler of what became a fairly powerful country. And then he took some time off. The man who wrote this proverb, guard your heart, decided one day to let down his guard. And he brought in wives, more wives, and he let them bring in their guards, put their gods in the temple, one thing led to another. Solomon's family failed. Solomon's own heart failed. And as a consequence, the very nation of Israel got carted into slavery because he couldn't stand guard. In all of life, we must guard our heart. And nowhere is this more important than in our marriage relationship. And that's what we'll talk about next week.